You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are back with our final episode discussing Trent's last case. Said by some reputable people, allegedly, <laughs> to be the first novel of the golden age of detective fiction. And uh hurts. Can we can we say I wanna clarify first, not necessarily best also. This <laughs> novel is insane. I feel like I feel like I need to read it like five more times to entirely understand what the timeline is. It's this is bonkers, Flex. This I mean, is a listen, bonkers novel. In the modern world of media that requires watch time mm. as its primary stat, I think Trent's last case has really nailed the format where you do just have to go back over it again and again to Mm -hmm. be like, hang on, what did you just say, E.C. Bentley? There's so many different moving pieces in this novel, and I'm not sure how many of them actually matter. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel. Let's get into things. It is the final episode on this book, so obviously full spoilers all the way to the end. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I think- the thing that I will say for this book is that, in summary, mm-hmm. you, you could elevate a pitch this book quite quite reasonably. You know, you could say that a man staged suicide to avoid himself being imprisoned for killing another man, only for it to turn out that it was another man who framed him for the attempted murder for the framed suicide. It's a very simple summary to the murder. There's that line as uh, it's it's before Couples comes in and delivers his coup de grace mm-hmm. to Trent and makes it Trent's last, last case where Trent is saying somewhat ironically, well, this didn't seem to be a very complicated case except for the fact that there are two great criminal minds cross-secting each other, Madison and Marlowe. And then a couple says, well, actually, I think it's quite simple even with two minds. Like, yeah. <laughs> because, of course, he holds the, the, the hidden piece that kind of takes those two criminal plans and ties them and ties them together with, I was the man who shot him. Yes. Which is absurd. I, I want to um, say, though, I think the thing that's fun about this novel is, as you observed last week, Herds, that we are kind of given the solution uh, in chapter 11, where I ended this last week. Yeah. And the the framing device that I posed you was, why would we be given it so early if it is actually the truth? Mm. And ignoring that question for the moment, I found it so bizarre what happens next in the novel, because we spend, like, the next four and a bit chapters just going around all these different people following right? Trent after the case. Like, you know, it's it's more of a post-mortem on his reactions to the case than it is necessarily the case itself. And the the other weird thing is, is that of course, in in the standard setup of archetypes of murder mystery fiction, we got our detective, we got our budding sidekick, and we got the police officer. Now we've gotten rid of our police officer. And the our budding, budding sidekick, sidekick is the killer. <laughs> He's the, he's the killer, and he also yeah. disappears right up until the end of the novel where he walks out of the scene and says, oh, you're marrying yeah. my niece? That's so lovely. Also, I killed her husband. It's so good. <laughs> it's so, like, bizarre. I, I still am struggling to feel like, like, did I love this novel? Do I secretly despise it for how convoluted it is? But it it does these these fun little twists on the, on the you know, the structure. Yeah. I will say I was a little disappointed that Mrs. Madison didn't just – slap him in the face and be like, fooled you, but maybe that happened shortly after the end of this of this novel. Well, but they was they were sweet on each other, you know. We I guess so. I mean the thing that's cool about uh Trent's portrayal in his relation to the case is that so often through the golden age the detectives were 
heartlessly disconnected sure. uh, from whatever was going on. Whereas in this case, you know, the detective is is sweet on a suspect. Of course he is. Uh, they end up getting married. Like, you know, it's his best friend who ends up being yes. involved yeah. in the case. So His emotions are toyed with. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's interesting that one of the staples of the Golden Age, which is the outsider coming in and solving a crime, it sort of walks halfway down that line where- Trent comes out here to solve this crime because he is a detective, because he is an expert, but the crime is interesting because he discovers he isn't an outsider. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that way of putting it. Um, he also discovers that he's underestimating everybody in the room, but that's, you know, that's all the thing. Well, yeah, I, that's one of the cool things about the breakdown when we go and talk with Mabel is that mm. the defining piece of evidence before he wrote the letter was him asking Mabel if her having an affair with Marlowe was true. And her, like, shocked reaction, not necessarily explicit yeah. confirmation, is what leads him to write his theory. She implied. Uh, right. But yeah. as it turns out, that assumption that Trent makes is what leads him down the wrong path. Even, like, the, the big outcome is that he he gives up detectiving. Like, nobody is really brought to justice. No story is published. The public don't really know what happened. The, the police are completely off the mark. It's weird how unsatisfying this novel is like <laughs> in terms of it's it's like it's ending that said i do love the closing line yeah. that uh i i drink your health in a spirit of self self-abasement and you shall pay for the dinner yes like this whole idea that the golden age is a game between the detective and the suspect and that trent realizes he's lost so they go out yeah, to dinner exactly. rather than there being any consequences it's it's very funny no i like that i like that a lot that it ends up just being between couples and trent by the end it ends up being a very intimate sort of story Mm. It definitely is is strange that we don't have anyone hanged. The whole thing is ruled as suicide and or gang attack. That said, we do, despite not really seeing Manderson alive, grow to appreciate his demise. I think that's like a really satisfying part of the novel, though, that the real the real bad guy at the story, Manderson, um, he does get his comeuppance yeah. because it's kind of implied, and we'll, we'll get more into this probably in the solution, but like- he has this whole plan where he's going to get Marlo into trouble because he doesn't like him very much. It's a whole thing. And then uh, his his devious plan to perhaps wound himself and say, oh, Marlo shot me or whatever it is, um, ends with him being murdered. That's like, a, it's a satisfying outcome for his character. We're kind of posthumously justifying his death, which is always fun. Well, the other thing that's interesting about it is that the entire book along E.C. Bentley has had couples making these remarks about Smarmy bits, yep. Yeah, and, you know, the entire book, you're like, oh, yeah, talk trash about him, couples. I agree, and you get to the end, and it turns out he's he's killed him, and you're like, oh, maybe I do agree with this. (laughs) (laughs) He's so weird. Couples is such a weird character that he's, like, always there. Not contributing that much, but, like, even in his very first conversation, because he's essentially the first witness... He is the wit- he is the first witness in every sense of the word. He is the first witness to the murder, um, unbeknownst to us, and he is the first person to talk to us about Manderson and talk to us about the case, right? Um, and of course, the first person properly, the first suspect properly introduced, is is the killer. I mean, I remember in the first week, I was kind of joking about Mister Couples. I was like, oh yeah, like maybe 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 he killed Manderson because. 
you know, it's it's revenge for his daughter or whatever because she's in an unhappy relationship. And that's kind of what ended up happening. Even though the book spends like a long stretch trying to convince us that what happened was like the right thing in a manner of speaking, it doesn't deal with it at all. Like, you know, he just says, well, you've beat me and we're done here. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's not like, oh, you've, com- you've, you know, committed murder. You've just admitted to it. Off to the... Hangman's deuce to go. Like, what a depressing ending would that be, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but it, it's also interesting that, like, you know, the the characters don't really have a moment to reflect on those implications. Mm, no, for sure. Uh, they they just kind of accept them and move on. Like, it, it would have felt stilted, don't get me wrong, to, like, have the book close out with them philosophizing about the ethics of killing, of killing Manderson. But it is... Also an interesting choice that there is no moment in which they do that because, you know, it, it leaves the audience to come to their own conclusions, which is a, a, a nice fun thing that I am generally in support of, mm. but also just feels bizarre in a manner in this particular context. I think that what makes it most fun to me is simply that they're in a public place and he's describing the exact manner with which he murdered a very public figure like this. This is not the sort of scene that you would have in, like, a modern crime drama. Oh, I don't know about that. I feel like the characters having a conversation that really should be private in a, in a bizarrely public place is, like, a staple. I suppose. I don't know. I, I would have <laughs> expected in the movies that I've, I've been watching recently, maybe, I I would expect it to be like, I killed him. And what are you going to do about it? That's what I'd expect. But, you know. As it depends on the the flavor of the of the story. I suppose so. I guess though we should uh, wrap this part of the discussion here and head on and go over to the post mortem, the discussion of the mystery and its fair play nature. This is Death of the Reader. We are discussing E.C. Bentley's Trent's last case all the way to the end. You're on your murder mystery world tour. Stick around for that. More to come. You're on two SCR one hundred seven point three. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you. We are joined by Martin Edwards, Crime Writers Association's Diamond Dagger winner, current president of the Detection Club, leading historian in the world of crime fiction. And we speak to him today both as that historian and as author of Blackstone Fell, which is our next and final novel for 2022. Martin, welcome to the show. Well, uh, thanks very much. Great to be back. Before we dive into Blackstone Fell's murky bog, we wanted to pick your brain on Trent's last case, which is the novel we're talking about today. It's a cornerstone for the golden age of detective fiction, credited by many as the first novel of the golden age, Herds. So Bentley supposedly wrote Trent's last case as a response to the lacking humanity of many contemporary detective leads. Um, it's strange that many of the things Bentley sought to critique, like the infallibility of the, de- of the detective, remain staples of the era that he supposedly ushered in. What bits of Trent's last case do you think landed the honour of being known as the first? <laughs> well, uh, of course, the first, it's always a very tricky thing, isn't it? Because there's always going to be someone who finds something earlier. But but I, I do think that that Trent's last case was a, was a milestone in the evolution of crime fiction, And as you say, it was in many ways written as a reaction. He talks in his memoir, Those Days, about um, the fact that he he was a big fan of Sherlock Holmes. He enjoyed the stories. But the the idea of the omniscient detective began to irritate him. And so Bentley, I think, set out to satirise and debunk that, that type of writing, particularly that type of writing in the hands of people who weren't as skilled 
uh, stylistically as Conan Doyle. And he came up with the idea of the uh, uh, the great detective, Philip Trent, although he originally called him Gasket, who, uh, who comes up with a brilliant solution, only for it to be proved wrong right at the end. So Agatha Christie, as well as Dorothy Alsayers, was a big fan of Trent's last, last case and references it more than once. And I think what, what a lot of people took away was not the, the satire or the fallibility of the great detective, but the idea of the one final turn of the screw that is such a feature of the books, not only of Christie, but the, the multiple solution type uh, novels of the likes of Anthony Barclay and Ellery Queen and, and Christiana Brand. So this, this idea of, uh, of, of uh, the, the great act of slate of hand, the, the magical trick by which the truth is revealed, and then the truth turns out to be something else, was something that really resonated for a very long time and still does. Well, as you say, both Christie and, and Sayers count themselves as fans of, of Translast's case, Christie adorning many reprints with, with her own quote that is one of the three greatest detective novels of all time, and Sayers referencing the novel directly in Whose Body. Why do you think that the book landed so well with, with writers, and do you find yourself returning to it? Well, well dealing with your second question first, yes, yes I do. Yeah. Well, because it's well written uh, and, it, and it's an agreeable story to to read, uh, and the the film versions have been a number, but the, but the one in the early fifties was uh, was was certainly okay, better better than many films of who done it. Perhaps a low bar, but but it's but it's true, I think. So so I, I, I do go back to it. in terms of how it how it lands. I, I think that timing is so important in writing, as in everything else and and the timing was right yes you did have the war coming along but immediately after the book was published so the book is published in 1930 and it doesn't have any immediate successes but it it it, it almost the, the 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 ideas of it kind of seemed to kind of marinate in the in the heads of younger uh would-be writers over the next few years so by the time you get to 1920 Seven years later, Christie uh, produces her first novel, Mysterious Affair at Styles, and that takes on this idea of the final twist and the country house mystery. It's, uh, it's a different type of story because the detective in her case is infallible, more or less, Hercule Poirot. So she doesn't take on the satiric uh, edge of Trent's last case to the same extent. Although there is satire in the portrayal of, of Poirot, the refugee, the Belgian refugee, but but it's an affectionate satire. Well, yeah, I mean, in crime fiction, there is a tendency towards those parodies and that satire idea and the authorly games that people play with themselves kind of being the new ground for what becomes the next generation of tropes, like Trent's last case, like Hercule Poirot, like the Decagon house murders, like Caves of Steel, and so on. What do you think makes this like satire approach so effective in driving progress in crime fiction? Well, I, I, I think sat satire is very appealing, and, and I think that with detective fiction in particular, I think we have to accept that murder in reality is absolutely terrible and awful. And, and so there's always a question about treating uh, the ultimate crime as entertainment, as, as detective writers do. And there are different ways of addressing that question. 
as, and you can also ignore it if, if, if you're so inclined. But 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 I I don't care to. But but I think that that if you're addressing uh, the idea of murder being detected and the puzzle being solved, there's a lot of scope for poking fun at the detective process because it can be quite a serious thing, and the satire relieves some of the tension, some of the darkness perhaps as well. And so I think that if not exactly cathartic, I think it gives the the, the reader some sort of relief that uh, uh, that that everything is not uh, everything is not absolutely dark and terrible. And, and I think that the satiric edge that you find in in many, many detective stories and and including of course private eye novels, uh, uh, the more hard-boiled stuff, I, I think that part of the attraction of that, both for writers and readers, is that it it gives you a break from the the business of of, of murder and the business of murder detection. Oh well, yeah, I, I guess I wanted to insert at this point a, a shout out to Life of Crime, which is your latest enormous uh, historical effort. Because one of the stories I remember reading you talk about, uh, Philip Trent and E. C. Bentley, was how Trent's own case had this celebratory dinner for when it came out 20 years down the line and unlike many of his peers Bentley didn't quite manage to produce the kind of momentous sequel or franchise that we expect in the space what do you think made Trent work so well in Trent's last case that he wasn't quite able to recapture in Trent's own well that's a very interesting question which I've I've puzzled over for a long time he he wrote a number of short stories about Trent uh, both shortly after the book was published and, and, and quite a bit later. And some of those stories are very good. The Genuine Tabard is, is an example. Sweet Shot is also pretty good. Um, and he, he finally wrote a, a thriller called uh, Elephant's Work, which is about amnesia, which is definitely one to forget, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, yeah, uh, but uh, Trent's own case, he was, he was talked into it by his friend, Herbert Warner Allen, who was uh, a wine merchant of some distinction, but but also an occasional crime writer. And and Warner Allen was uh, very friendly with Bentley and he encouraged him. And it was a collaborative work. And I suspect that Warner Allen came up with most of the plot and Bentley did most, if not all, of the writing. But but who who can be sure about that? But that's my guess. But, But what I really think is, is that Bentley was a journalist whose talent didn't particularly lie in writing novels. He wrote one absolute classic, and, you know, 110 years later, we're, we're talking about it, uh, which, is, which is pretty remarkable uh, when, when you think about it. So it seems odd and unfair to say that he wasn't an actual novelist, but but I, I tend to think that's the case. He, he was a journalist who had one great idea and executed it brilliantly with uh, massive consequences and, and, and great influence. But I don't think that writing novels came to him in the way that it came to the likes of Christie or Barclay or Austin Freeman before, before uh, Bentley published his book, uh, they, they were novelists in a way that he wasn't. He was 
he, it wouldn't be fair to say he was a one-trick pony because because he was he was more than that. But uh, but that single trick was was really by far his greatest achievement. Well, speaking of uh, EC Bentley's career as a journalist, it's as good as time as any to mention, of course, that we will have you back on in a few weeks' time to talk about Blackstone Fell, which is your latest novel at the time that we speak. Thank you, Martin, for joining us this week on the show. Really? Well, thanks to both of you. It's been great fun. Herds, you'll have to tell me which chapters of Blackstone Fell I'm reading at the end of the show. But for now, Excellent. we're going to jump back in to the post-mortem <laughs> of Trent's last case. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Hertz here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Trent's Last Case by E.C. Bentley. Hertz has been in the solving chair in which, Hertz, you've had to contest with a unique flavor of Golden Age puzzle. Isn't it always the case? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I am very scared to find out how many points I've earned this time. I feel like he did a pretty good job, but much much like a boy Trent, I I don't feel like I understood the exact moment of death mm. in the way that that I would have liked to. But I would I would like to challenge this a little bit. I would love to know how how fair play is this mystery? Like couples couples is uh is bizarrely positioned yes. in this novel. I love him as a plot device. I love him as a character, but- I want to tell you, you're getting you know. at least two points. Okay. Because I think that you you managed to pick apart the correct wrong pieces of the initial solution were presented in chapter 11. Great. <laughs> and you did present two different theories, so you've met the, the base criteria here. Good. This afternoon's discussion- uh, is going to be about whether or not you're getting the third point. Uh-oh. Uh, because you're absolutely right. Like, this is pre-Nox's Decalogue, pre-Van Dyne's- Really, there are no rules. Um, 20 rules. Like, yeah, there there are no rules here, but, like, I don't know. I, I think the bits that you missed are, like, feasible to get. For the record, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I I definitely did not quite pick uh, what was what was up, what was twisted about the solution, but like, yeah, it, it's it's a tough one to decide because it sits in this very weird position where, having read the whole thing, I can go like, oh, yep, okay, here were the clues. Mm. Here was couples being very unapologetic about him being dead. Here was him being very confident that he knew things that he shouldn't otherwise have known, but. He also wasn't really there in the capacity where those comments I felt mattered as much. Like they, they very well flew under the radar, which was well done. But you know, is it is it fair? Is it know. third pointable? I mean, I will say he didn't seem like much of a killer, even after he confessed to being the one who killed Manderson. I was like, but wait a second, did that actually happen? Is, is this another pull in the leg moment? Look, I don't even know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm expecting him to spin around and say, actually, it was my twin brother, Mr. Bubbles. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that trying to pick couples as as the real killer is incredibly deep in the story, but, but convoluted, so, you know. Yeah, he, here, here are the key pieces of evidence for the prosecution, as in the you not getting points. Uh oh, yeah. I, uh, do you have page or, numbers? Or point. I don't have page I need, numbers. I need quotes my, my and e page numbers. My ebook is rescalable. Couples does say that he saw Manderson alive 
after their argument outside the hotel. Mm. That's like a, a piece of evidence it's that we presented, flag. but we we never get told what that other encounter was. It's spoken about in pretty vague terms, and he says he you know saw him in passing, basically. So we we do kind of have a framing device there that says that oh okay this character like has broken his own alibi by trying to forge someone else's. Yeah. Well, that, that particular piece of evidence is, is actually brought up during the conversation at the end of the book where he says, I knew I could never lie to you, Trent. So I simply, you know, made it as basic a statement as I could uh, to avoid arousing your suspicion, that sort of thing. So that's, that's definitely a point in the favor that he, he saw Manderson. Although that could just imply that he's going to be a witness and not necessarily a murderer. Look, well, it's it's true, but at the same time here, like, I guess the the confusion is always that Marlowe seems pretty convinced of his own guilt, right? He went through all sure. of this effort to try and make it seem uh, as though he wasn't the person he he wasn't the the droid that they were looking for. It's it's only real clue that Marlowe isn't the killer is the fact that as I kind of organized our episodes the letter appears so early in the story if they'd walked away with that as the solution it would have been a very unsatisfying solution to be fair but it still would have worked because because marlo gets presented the the unpublished article and he's like yep that makes sense that's everything i did but structurally because that's so early in the novel it's meant to be like okay well we're not done here i mean the obvious the obvious response is that um you know all of that is done to to throw you off the scent i mean the letter is by and large, correct. Even if Marlowe is, you know, he ends up sort of reinforcing it through his own emotions. Yeah. Um, and through his own sort of perspective, he almost convinces himself that he's, you know, responsible for everything that's happened in a way. Um, he even says that uh, if someone else would step forward for the crime, that, you know, someone else would be wrongfully convicted, that he would have stepped forward and taken, taken the hangsman's noose for them, that sort of thing. I think one of the things that's really challenging about this book is that... It's so familiar and the golden agey things that it does are like so clear in that like, yes, okay, so Couples spends a lot of the book bemoaning how uh, Manderson was treating Mabel, how much he cared for Mabel. It's not to say that there are no clues. The only like real thing you could kind of ping Couples on is the fact that if he is the Watson, then he must by Knox's rules not conceal any thoughts which passed through his mind and he definitely does at certain moments to kind of shy himself away but also because he's the culprit like there's not really anything else you can do without just giving the the game away right there's no rule against the Watson being the culprit even if the detective can't be the culprit it's true well I look I would say that maybe the Watson is supposed to be you know only slightly stupid than the average reader. I'm just saying that clearly that means that the Watson should not be smarter than the detective, which is how it is in this book. So mm. clearly, clearly there are some rooms clearly. being pre, 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 broken. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase the, the, the rules don't exist yet, but if they did exist, they'd be getting broken. I'm just saying. I think the main thing that was curious to me, and I think why I didn't guess this novel uh, while I was trying to solve it is that, it takes so long for them to get around to breaking down the crime. You know, you you land in the scene with couples not even necessarily feeling that there is anything left to be unraveled. It just kind of feels weird mm. 
at that yeah. point. Well, if, I mean, if you're reading that, if, if you're like reading the novel through and you kind of have that knowledge that Couples is he's building up to saying, I was the killer all along. It's kind of, it. Th- there is definitely some like weird tension there. So, you know, I th- look, I think that at least in the final, certainly in the final chapter of the novel, you could definitely guess that Couples is the real murderer, just based on that alone. <laughs> uh, which is a very controversial thing to say, I'm sure. So I guess, how many points am I getting? What are we... What have, what have we by and large determined about this novel? That it is incredibly unfair and I'm getting all three points. That's what, I, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm understanding. I think, I think you are going to get a very sympathetic two points. That's here. fine. It's- sympathetic! That's fine. I'll take two points. Like if, 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 if we were, you know, in the studio like we are right now and instead of talking across two microphones i had a, a platter of of points represented by food it'd be really well made food like these would be mm-hmm. the greatest two point sandwiches you'd ever eaten oh my goodness but they're still only two point sandwiches okay so they were like a two plus yeah if like we did two- dealt with half <laughs> points on this show i think you'd walk away with two and a half but we don't deal with half points I'll, on this i'll show. take a, a two plus that sounds pretty good to me it's no three <laughs> but it's it's close it's it's no delectable three course meal made by made by gods but it's close very good sandwiches. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> as we mentioned, we only have one novel left this year. We do. And it is, of course, Martin Edwards' Blackstone Fell. Herds, tell us a little bit about the book. It's a, it's a modern novel, but written in the style of a golden age mystery. And my favorite part of this book so far is I've flicked to the end, um, not, not to see the how it ends. The clue finder? Yes, the clue finder. Oh, it's yes. the best part of the novel. You trying to stop my thunder there, which I'm very sad about. But no, I, I spoke with Martin Edwards after he put out Mortmain Hall, which is the previous book in the series, and I was overjoyed to find the clue finder. Yes, so it, it's gonna. Well, we're not gonna have these discussions about whether things are fair because if you say, "Wow, I didn't have enough clues to even solve that mystery," I'll say, "Aha, the clue finder!" It tells you exactly the page to go to. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, anyway, for that novel, we will be covering up to chapter eleven of Blackstone Fell. Alrighty. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SCR 107.3. We'll be back with Blackstone Fell next week on the show. Yay! Hope you're doing well. Stick around for that. You're listening to 2SCR 107.3, and we'll see you then.